Psalms chapter 107, verses 10 to 16. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labour, and they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. The second reading is Colossians 1, verses 13 to 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And this evening, we're going to take a look at the two verses from Colossians that are printed there. And this letter from the Apostle Paul to this church. And those two verses tell in short, simple phrases what happens when someone becomes a Christian, when someone becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. They describe where we were, where we are now, and how we got here. So if you're a Christian believer here this evening, I trust there'll be a real encouragement to you as you think back on what has happened in your life and spur you on to real thankfulness uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not yet a believer in in Jesus Christ, not yet a Christian, um, I hope that these verses will help you understand uh, what the Christian message is, how Christians see the world, and uh, what they believe about Jesus and, and what he's done. Let's pray as we look at them together. Heavenly Father, we um, have already sung of your goodness in rescuing us, holding on to us. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the gift of uh, your word, both in Colossians and the psalm that was read, uh, which speak of what you have done for us. And we pray that as we look at them together, you will fill our hearts with thankfulness. And uh, Lord, that we would live that out then uh, in our lives as we go on. In Jesus' name. Amen. So on the inside of the service sheet, you'll see where we're going. We're going from where we were, the domain of darkness, to where we are, the kingdom of the sun, and how we get there, uh, the cross of the king. So first of all, from where we were, the domain of darkness, the first part of the verse, verse 13, he has, that's Jesus, delivered us from the domain of darkness. Well, what's wrong with the world? It's a question that a lot of people ask. We all know that there's something wrong with the world. Uh, we don't have to look very far in our, our newspapers or in our, and on our TV uh, to see what's wrong. And so it's a question that lots of people are asking. I wonder if you've asked that yourself. Two years ago in 2018, there were joint winners of the Nobel Peace Prize, a guy called Dennis McQuaige and Nadia Murad. And their stories were really pretty harrowing. Nadia Murad is a Yazidi woman who'd been fighting for the rights of her people. 
She was 19 when she was captured by Islamic State after her six brothers were murdered. She was beaten and abused in captivity and she was a slave along with nearly 7,000 other Yazidi women. 7,000 slaves in the 21st century. Dennis McWege, the the co-winner of the award, he's a doctor from the Republic of Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and he's a gynaecologist, and he spent his life uh, treating the victims of sexual violence in his country. At the height of the conflict, he was performing 10 operations a day on women and children. And in his acceptance speech of the award, he said this of the Congolese wars, the human cost of this perverted, organised chaos has been hundreds of thousands of women raped, over four million people displaced within the country, and the loss of six million human lives. Imagine the equivalent of the entire population of Denmark decimated. 2018, just two years ago. And the sad story is, of course, that these atrocities are not new to humanity. Remembrance Sunday has just been and gone just over 100 years on from the First World War, all those dead, the war to end all wars, we were told, and yet it wasn't just 20 years later. We were doing it all over again. And the history of humanity is filled with such events, and we ask ourselves, how can human beings do such things to each other? How can such wickedness exist in our world, such evil? Will we never learn? And the world, it doesn't really seem to have an answer to that question. As a culture, we believe in the evolution of the human race, we believe in progress, and so we're having a hard time processing things like genocide in the 21st century. Yet there it is, and it's not going away. What's wrong with the world? Well, there are lots of people out there who'd have a naturalistic view of the world that All we are is accidents and atoms and carbon and chemicals, purely physical beings. The logical conclusion of that view, if that's true, is that there's no such thing as evil, not really. Right and wrong are concepts that we come up with, but there's no real basis for them if we sort of survive or do not, and, and there's no basis for the rights and wrongs of that. But if you really believe that, you don't really have a category for the things that are happening in our world, the things like what happened in the DRC or what happened to the Yazidis or what's going on in Yemen or to the Uyghur people in China. How do you explain all that? How do you explain your revulsion to things like that? It seems a bit implausible to say that evil doesn't exist and it's unthinkable to say that it doesn't matter. Christianity offers a different explanation for what is wrong with the world. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, and Christianity teaches that the world is under the domain of darkness. Now, do you remember the film The Lion King? I think the greatest of all Disney movies. I wonder if you've ever thought about the worldview of The Lion King. Probably not, okay? Um, But at the start of the film, 
uh, Mufasa, the, the Lion King, he's uh, speaking to his son Simba as they look out over the plains. And he tells his son that everything the light touches is their kingdom, if you remember that. It's a wonderful place. It's a place of plenty, a place of happiness, a place of song. They're always singing. And Simba's amazed, but then in the, in the distance he sees a sort of rocky, dark and shadowy place. And Mufasa tells him, never go there. But of course, later in the film, he does. And he discovers what it is, and it's the elephant's graveyard. It's a place of death. And it's there that the terrifying hyenas live, and it's there that Scar, the king's evil brother, rules. Scar later rebels against the Lion King, he gets rid of him, and he takes over the plains with his cackling buddies. And what happens to that place of light and joy? Well, the shadows creep across the land until it becomes a place of darkness and death. Once joyful and happy place full of goodness and song is just a memory the land has been shrouded in darkness. Now that's just a picture of what the Bible says has happened to our world when we rejected God as our king. But the Bible's view is not simplistic. It gives a much more nuanced understanding of the problem that the world is in than the naturalistic worldview has to offer. Paul's phrase here that we live under the domain of darkness is a summary of the Bible's description of our condition, but it has multiple dimensions to it. So first of all, the Bible's got a lot to say about human evil, what it calls sin. It says that our natures have been corrupted as we've rebelled against God's rule, his intention for us. The Apostle Paul calls that sometimes the flesh or the sinful nature. We sin in thought and in word. And indeed, we break God's law, and in doing so, we ruin ourselves, but we also ruin each other with our greed and our lust and our selfishness. We do evil to each other. Now, most people, I think, instinctively know that to be true at some level. And you have to look a little closely inside at our own hearts, and we quickly get uncomfortable with what we see there, don't we? That's one facet of the darkness of our world. It's the darkness in here, the darkness inside. But second, the Bible has a lot to say about what we might call corporate evil, what the New Testament calls the world. And this is the structures, the governments, the cultures, ideas, and philosophies which are gathered together in rebellion against God. It's collective sin, if you like, and we're living in its midst. And again, I think people are recognising this as a, as a reality. In fact, more so over the last couple of years, the prime example being that of uh, racism. It seems to be more than just an individual sin. It's systemic, it's cultural somehow, part of the societal fabric in certain cultures or subcultures. And the Bible has room for that kind of understanding of things. It's the second facet of evil in the way the Bible describes it. We see darkness inside us individually, but we also see darkness around us corporately in the world. 
And then there's the third element. And this is the one I guess that most people out there don't believe in. That there's such a thing as spiritual evil. That there are personal spiritual forces of evil in this world. The Bible says that it has, these forces have a leader called the devil or Satan who's fiercely opposed to God. And more than that, the Bible teaches that he has enslaved the entire human race, blinded their eyes, put them in the dark, bent them to his will, and is using them to destroy each other. That the world has been plunged into darkness and is held captive by it. See, were we to see the spiritual reality, we would see a shroud of darkness ruling over us. Now, doesn't this more nuanced understanding of evil, of what's wrong with our world, make better sense of things, better sense of what we see on our news, that there's darkness inside us, around us, and ruling over us? So when we look at these things that we see in our world and we, we think, how can human beings do this kind of thing to each other? Doesn't the Bible present quite a convincing answer as to what's wrong with our world, that we live under the domain of darkness, that a funeral shroud covers us unto death. That's not a very joyful sermon so far, but it's just the first part of the verse. Paul doesn't stop there, because this is the world, this is the world, the domain of darkness is the kind of world that Jesus Christ comes into. God the Father sent God the Son not to a place of joy and goodness and happiness and righteousness. No, he comes into the darkness. Just think about that for a moment. When Jesus entered this dark world, he came from heaven's light into the darkness, he knew what he was coming to, and yet he did it anyway. Why would anyone do that? Well, what does verse 13 say? That he did it to deliver his people from it, to deliver them from where we were to where we are, to the kingdom of the Son. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is great news for us. God was not content to leave us where we were. Now, God is light. There is no darkness in him. And he would rescue his people from the darkness that ruled over them. He'd bring his light to them. In verse 12, just before our reading in Colossians, the Apostle Paul had said to these Colossian Christians that God the Father had qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And this is the kingdom of the Son he loves, as he now puts it in verse 13. Jesus Christ often spoke about his kingdom. Um, Do you remember he said to Pontius Pilate at at his trial, "'My kingdom is not of this world.'" His kingdom's not a, not a um, kind of kingdom with geographical borders. 
can't point to it on a map. It's a spiritual kingdom that has come down from heaven and broken into this world. It's begun now, and it will be without end. It's chiefly the reign of Jesus Christ over and in the hearts of his people. When God rescues someone from darkness, he brings them under his rule. And his rule is totally different. He's not cruel and destructive. He's wise and gracious and gentle. Christians are those who have been transferred under, to, from darkness to, to his kingdom under his rule and they joyfully submit to Christ and live as he commands. And Paul's been praying just that in, for the Colossians in the earlier verses, that they'll grow in this regard, verse 9, that you may be filled, he's praying, you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The kingdom of light breaks into the dark hearts of human beings by the Spirit of God and Christ, the Son of the Father, establishes his rule there. That's what it means to be brought into the kingdom of Christ. It is to have light flood your soul. The preacher Jonathan Edwards once wrote about this. He said this, Men have a great deal of pleasure in human knowledge, in studies of natural things, but this is nothing to that joy which arises from this divine light shining into the soul. The spiritual light is the dawning of the light of glory in the heart. There is nothing so powerful as this to support persons in affliction and to give the mind peace and brightness in this stormy and dark world. The message of Christianity gives those who live under the domain of darkness a real and certain hope that there's a way out because there's a rescuer, a deliverer, the beloved Son of God. The power of darkness over a human heart is, dis- is dispelled by the light of Christ. As Edwards puts it, those who know Jesus have peace and brightness in this dark and stormy world. A rescuer has come, the king has come to save us, and his kingdom breaks into this world, beginning in our own hearts. When that happens, what we do is we start to live as people of light, who then bring light to others. Each believer, each church, becomes a light that shines towards others. The Christian believer can say, he has delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me to the kingdom of his beloved son. But how? How does he bring about this deliverance, about this rescue? The answer's in verse 14. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That word redemption there is a word that the Colossians would have been familiar with. In the Roman world, the slave trade was big business. About a third of the population of the empire were slaves. And this word redemption is a word for that financial transaction in the slave market. It's part of the same word um, 
as the word group as the word ransom. It means to pay the price to purchase freedom for a slave. If you had a family member in slavery, uh, you might save up your money so that you could redeem them, you could pay for their release. Being under the domain of darkness is a form of slavery. We're held captive there under the oppression of Satan and sin. But the problem we have is that the darkness is so overwhelming, it has such a strong grip on us, that there's just no way we can buy ourselves out of it. We're trapped there, we're held captive. Imagine for a moment a great city and the prince of the land comes to the city and he's shown round by the great dignitaries and he sees the tall buildings, the temples, the palaces, the great houses and then his tour reaches the marketplace and he goes past the stalls, all the wonderful smells and the sights and the sounds and then at the back of the market, slightly out of the way, He passes by a hole in the ground and it has thick bars, thick iron bars over the top. The slave pits. He looks down into the great pit, into the darkness, and he sees the slaves there. They're chained, dirty, starving, just waiting to be sold, to die in their slavery. And the slave owner tells him that they're there, they're criminals, against the king's law, and that slavery is their deserved punishment. But the prince, he sees their misery, he hears their cries, and his compassion moves him. He says to the slave owner, these are my people. Despite what they've done, I still love them. Will you free them? And the owner replies, well, your majesty, I'm I'm not willing to part with them really, I mean, they've committed many crimes. They've broken the king's law. And this is justice, you see. Nothing I can do. They're paying the price that they owe. And it's a great price. I see, says the prince. Then here's the deal. You will set them free and I will pay their price. I will redeem them. And it says, but the price is too great. And the prince says, I know what the price is. This is why my father sent me. And the king, he takes off, uh, the prince, he takes off his robes and he enters the pit. Down into the darkness he goes while those in slavery come up to the light of day. They're redeemed, their crimes are forgiven, their punishment paid by the prince himself. Jesus Christ, the great prince of heaven, came to earth to pay for the sins of his people. Willingly, the beloved son of God stepped down into the darkness of this world and then down deeper still into the pit of hell at the cross of Calvary. There he took our sins, our inner darkness into himself and suffered and died in our place. There he paid the price for our crimes 
our breaking of the king's law with his precious blood. And he did that so that we could be redeemed, set free, forgiven, and transferred from darkness to light. The cross is how we get to the kingdom of the sun. It's the beginning of hope for a dark world. As a person begins to trust in the cross of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of light begins to dawn in their hearts. And it begins to spread. And one day, as the king returns once more, he will usher in his kingdom fully, and there will never be darkness ever again. When Jesus returns, he will banish darkness from this world once and for all. The dark powers over us will be blown away. The dark powers around us and among us, the oppression, the injustice, will all be gone. And the darkness in us, the sin that we find lurking in our hearts, will be totally and finally removed. And the hope that this verse gives us was captured by the psalmist in the psalm that we read. And as we close, let me read the words of this psalm. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labour. They fell down with none to help. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let's do that now as we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you for what you have done for us, that through the cross you have paid the price for us, that you have granted us redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and that through faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, we can be transferred from the dominion of darkness into your kingdom. Oh Lord God, we praise you for what you have done and we praise you for the hope that that gives us for the future, that one day all the darkness of this world, all the evil that we see will be taken away and that we will live in your kingdom of light for eternity. Help us to cling to these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.